Welcome back to the Dang S3 Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm Jonathan Woolley. Uh, Mike Sanders over there with the little still hood. Yeah, shirt right there. That's him. And then we have Nick Caloroso on today, the Italian stallion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Nick's involved with the industry in a ton of different ways, and we'll get into it. And uh, you work for Wheel Pros slash Hoonigan and all that. We can get into that a little bit as well. But basically, we've been wanting to have him on here for, like, a long time. And uh, I don't know, man. I just like I like the way that you see cars. You seem to have an understanding of them that's beyond just like liking cars. Like you feel cars. You know what I mean? And and that sounds stupid when I say it out loud. I get that, but it's kind of rare, man. Like you know, a lot of people don't fully get it, especially in this era where we're moving from a lot of analog sensory driven things to actual sensors and autonomy and stuff like that and a lot of, a lot of people it's lost on and i can think of a select few and you're one of them that like i see it in your posts all the time like you you really romantic about cars and i mean that like in a good way so like we just wanted to get just your general impression on things and uh let me see. I'm trying to think of where to start this because I don't really know where to roll into it. Other than you made a post, what, maybe six weeks ago now that talked about the M4 and the hideous front end on it. And the, you new saying, one, the new one. Not, not the one that I'm currently selling, by the way, 2015. <laughs> what? Yeah. You're, that's your car? Yeah. No, no. The, the, uh, I have a 2015 FA2 M4 which is exactly why the discussion on like analog cars versus, you know, modern cars is so like burned in my brain because, you know, I'll just jump into it. So the F82 M4, mine's a 15, is the first generation. By all means, perfect car. Great daily driver, way better than its V8 powered predecessor in every statistical way. Um, you know, twin turbo inline six makes more power, blah, blah, blah. But it's soulless. And like my dad has an E92 M3, uh, you know, the older one with the V8, yeah. less power and less torque and rod bearings and blah, blah, blah. And like you drive that, you cannot, you can't not smile driving right. that. Like you drive the F, the new cars or like really any, most new cars. And you're just like, it's, it's a car. Like you, it, you, there's no in, emotion to it. It's not really an occasion or an experience. It just gets you where you need to go. And sometimes pretty fast. Yeah. So. No, I I feel that we we get to review a lot of new cars for the magazine and a lot of times even the ones where they try are falling short of the character and the soul that used to just naturally seem to fall into place and you know what we got a buddy named tim neely you know tim neely by any chance i think so is he a photographer what's that he did not a photographer no no oh, he's not something familiar. yeah but anyway yeah he's he he mentioned this and it stuck with me uh he was like you know, that that charisma that was in these cars of yesteryear that we long for, he's like, a lot of times that was in the car's faults. You know what I mean? Like the soul 100%. was in its faults. Like they weren't perfect cars. He's like, now they're so good at making cars, so to speak, that it it results in a sensation of numbness. It, yes. It's kind of hard to avoid. We've gotten way too comfortable uh, with all of our screens and technology and all oh, it's got to be quiet and you know and, and back in the day it's like 
you know, just slap this thing together. If it makes it 20, 30,000 miles, like you're good to go. You know, you got door handles falling off, but like, it's part of the experience. Like you don't know if it's going to start when you turn the key, you know, and like you still had to turn a key and now it's like, you just get in and go. And it's like, you forget about driving as an, as like a, as a pleasure and a hobby. And uh, it's, it's kind of sad, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. These automotive manufacturers have spent so many years chasing perfection when it comes to speed. You see that on all fronts, especially with the EV stuff. You know, that's their big yeah. thing is, oh, now they're so fast. You know, speed and comfort and just deadening everything uh, so that it's a more comfortable ride that you don't feel anything. Back in like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like my era for cars of, of perfection is, is, you know, like the 90s for the most yes. part. Cars were so mechanical and so visceral. And because of that, they were very raw. And like, yes, they were a lot slower. But there's something to be said about driving a slow car fast. Like I've got fast cars and you can't drive them fast anywhere at all. I mean, I've got cars that are a freaking blast if you can ever get the hell away from everybody, yeah. which you can't. So they're kind of pointless. You know, I've got all this power that I absolutely cannot use. Um, meanwhile, you know, Wooly and his little CRX, that thing is a bundle of fun. He's having a ton of fun. Everybody else around him is saying, why is that slow car making so much noise? But he's having a great time. I mean, that's, yeah. really what, it, that's what it's all about. I mean, when you have a, a fast car that you can't drive fast, like it, it's, it's not really fun. You, just, you have that itch all the time. You're like, oh, I just want to mash the gas. And like, I just want to go. And like, you know that if you look down, like oh man i'm breaking you know i'm doing triple digits here but if you're in like a slow car you know you can use all the power and like not have to you know worry about going straight to jail mm -hmm. and um it's, it's a lot more fun when you're you're actually getting to drive the car yeah, yeah. it trust me and it's a hard sale because in the world of like hellcats and tesla plaids <laughs> and all of this to try and explain to people that aren't like hardcore car enthusiasts and to try and make them understand that like look fast isn't everything like yeah. that doesn't compute because our entire lives up until this digital transformation like fast was everything you know what yeah, i mean but 100%. like now we're learning it's entirely how you go fast you can have a fast car that's not fast at all and then you can also have a modern car that's extremely fast and not feel fast you know yeah. what i mean so 100 percent. and that, that's kind of like where my my car enthusiasm has gone is like I look at the new cars and I'm like you just can't enjoy them they're they're too powerful you know and like we all love going fast you know blah 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 but like you just can't enjoy them and they're they're too good and like yeah. I want something worse at everything slower but like more fun you know like I I want the experience I want to go in you know I want to I want to turn it on and like hopefully it starts and like push the buttons maybe they're gonna stick. You know, maybe that window regulator on that isn't going to roll up. I mean, who knows? Like, it's, it's part of the charm, you know? Yeah, the quirks add character, man. And it, 100%. It adds a sport just to basic transportation when when you got to live with the car's quirks and what ifs, you know? Yeah, the, like, only, the, only, the only quirks I can think of on EVs is, like, one, they're super heavy, and two, the brakes aren't nowhere near good. Have, have you ever driven a Plaid? No. The brakes are, like a joke like it, it honestly is really unsafe because you think about how fast those things accelerate and then you forget like oh yeah i gotta stop this thing and like the brakes are a total joke hmm. like yeah. if you've ever if you ever get a chance to drive one and like really stomp on the brakes <laughs> it, it's not precision 
we'll put I'm it that sure, way. Especially if you did it repeatedly a few times, you probably end up cooking them or what? Yeah, it gets a little, gets a little scary. I know there's upgrades out there, and Tesla's got some crazy $20,000 carbon ceramic brake option. I think they shelved it, actually, but it's just like it's such a heavy car. You can't do anything about that. It's numb, and the brakes suck. I mean, okay. that car weigh? That thing's got to be like 6,000 pounds, right? Yeah. Yeah, something, I'm sure they're something like that. Yeah. I think a Model 3 is 4,000 some odd, so I don't know. I mean, um, that party trick is pretty cool, though. I mean, I'm not like, look, I don't I don't hate EVs. I think they have their place. I just, you know, it's kind of a one-trick pony. You know, they go super fast in a straight line, which is awesome. It's a lot of fun. If you've never ridden a Plaid, like, it, it'll change you. I do think... Yeah. Have you ridden a plaid? No, let me no. let me think. I've been in the Rivian with the quad motors or whatever. I've been in an old Tesla when it was the P90 something D. Yeah. And it was the bad boy of the time, but that was 10 years ago. Yeah, um, we need to get you in a we need to get you in a plaid because it will, you know, look, we're I'm diehard, you know, internal combustion all the way, right? But if you're in the plaid, you're like, okay, it's pretty cool. Like I get yeah. it. I'd get bored of it personally, but like I get it. You know, and yeah. It, the plaid is, I mean, I think it's like 0 to 16, like, it's like two seconds. It's, it's a different ballgame. So what do you think about EVs? Anybody listening knows what me and Mike think about EVs. And a lot of times we have to clarify, I don't hate EVs. I hate the movement and the way that it was brought to us under, in my opinion, a lie of sustainability. It was, we were we were robbed of our choice. They were like, this is happening comply or else kind of a thing like we're yeah. just gonna we're gonna do this even though it's not the will of the majority that's where it lost me like for example when the cyber truck was introduced i was on board i was like dude crazy for running around locally and bringing my mountain bikes to the mountain bike park that thing's badass it looks like it would be fun to modify in the aftermarket with lighting and lifts and stuff i'm in you know and then it comes out and so much political stuff had happened, not to mention it's twice as much as, as it should be, but like, you know what I mean? Or as it was advertised originally. Yeah. But so much political stuff has happened that the whole EV movement, to me, I cannot separate from politics. And that uh, it's a shame because that should have never, uh, it, it has tarnished what I think about EVs. And I don't know if there's any real going back for me. You know what I mean? But like, what do you Yeah. What do you think, think about that? Well, for one, I think you need to get in a plaid because, you know, that that will it'll change you. And I'm, look, like I said, I'm an internal combustion guy through and through. Yep. I believe in a, a multi uh, fuel sustainability approach where you have people who want internal combustion. You do hybrid, you do alternative fuels and then you do EV and you let people decide. That's the way it should be. You know, they've made great strides in uh, alternative fuels. Um, there's sustainable fuels being made out there. So like there's other there's a balanced approach right there's not a one size fits all like if you live in a city and you only drive like five ten miles a day EV's perfect if you drive you know long distance often like it's not going to work charging is doing long distance is still a pain no matter what people say but um i think to look at it too you kind of have to look at it from the manufacturer's perspective uh they don't know what's going to happen you know there's talk of internal combustion engine bans in other countries and like you know it costs a lot of money to develop an ev vehicles a lot and they don't have a lot of experience with it and so they're basically have to go all in 
or else they're gonna get either left behind or forced to adopt. And so from the, I think the OEs have it really, really hard, um, you know, cause you're going up against this powerhouse that it's all they do is EV and you have to shift, you know, a hundred years of manufacturing, you know, gas powered engines within like five years or 10 years. And I mean, that's, it's a tall task, you know, and I think they begrudgingly did it. I think that they don't really, I don't really think all, all OEs want to go all in on EV, but I think they're kind of like waiting and seeing. So it, it puts them in a tough spot. And uh, I think that they don't get enough credit for like keeping a balanced portfolio of products. So in other words, gas and EV. Yeah. It can't be, I, it can't be easy, honestly. I think it's interesting because now we're close enough to the next election, and this is unfortunate, yeah. but we've gotten to a point in this country to where an election can completely swing <laughs> their plans. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it shouldn't be like that. They shouldn't have to retool everything every four or eight years and totally maybe perhaps do 180s. Um, but yeah, I've noticed that a lot of these companies are now They've pumped the brakes. They're holding. They're like, hold on a second. Let's see. Because a lot of the EV problems have set in, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if you guys keep up with the, you know, the daily events, like EVs grew a lot this past year and then hit a ceiling. And it seems to be having a lot of trouble breaking through that ceiling. And that's because in America, it's like you said, it doesn't work for a lot of people for various reasons. Uh, we have a, a vast landscape. A lot of people travel a lot. A lot of people don't know what their day is going to bring at the beginning of the day. A lot of people live in apartments and the list goes on and on and yeah. charging may not be super convenient. Um, so I don't really know where I'm going with that other than do you think that maybe the car manufacturers, and I'm just asking, should have had more balls or background or backbone from the beginning and gone, hey, administration, ain't gonna freaking work. Like, I know where you're trying to go and we'll get there, but we gotta introduce it gradually. We gotta, you know, like, let's let internal combustion play out. Let's let hybrid come in. Let's let EV come in. May the best man ultimately win. Tesla, we see you, but you're 6% of the market right now. So we're not trying to be you necessarily quite yet. Do you think maybe that would have been a better approach or you think I they think, were stuck? Here's what I think. I think, and I get to use my favorite word here, optics. One, I think, again, to your point, it's highly politicized. So no matter what you say, EV, gas-powered engines, bad. Burning fossil fuels, yeah. bad. So, like, you got that. You know, you already have the court of public opinion saying that any manufacturers that are going all in on, you know, making, you know, internal combustion engines for the next however many years, that's already politicized, you know, and that's that's a problem. And then you have the investment required and then the future, you know, the, the regulatory activity, like all these potential bans and you're like we're really gonna have to be either all in and convince everyone that ev is the future or like wait and see and i think that it kind of forced a lot of the oe's hands to make these decisions and i, I mean frankly you know I, i'm sure if you asked jim farley or you know ford ceo like i'm sure he would have loved to have made an svt lighting that was like a supercharged you know like 6.2 liter v8 but he's like ah the ev people won't like that <laughs> yeah so it's a, I, it's a weird time that it is. The, it some is. of these CEOs, Caniscus from Mopar or from Dodge, they're having to make cars that they don't want to make. You know what I mean? Like, I think, and that just seems wrong. I think deep down they, you know, think that EVs have their place, but they really wish they could, you know, go back to making the, you know, bread and butter. Uh, like I'm sure making that lighting was really expensive, and you've kind of seen even even the CEOs like. Mm. 
We got to yeah. be better than that. You know, like you would well, never hear them say that about an F-150. Oh yeah, because they're stuck in a position now where they're being forced to make cars that let's say 90% of their customers don't want. It's not a hard, a, a red eye is not a hard sale. And we've it's proven because not at they're flying off the shelf yeah. 15 years after they've made the damn car. Like not at, not at an eight year term with a 20% APR. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a separate issue. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, Mike, you got anything to add to this? You got anything you've been holding out on? I mean, I, I agree. I do feel really, really bad for the manufacturers, not just because of the EV stuff, but this was sprung on them at the worst possible time. They're at a part, a time in, in history right now where they just came out of the whole COVID thing where they weren't selling many cars because they couldn't make the damn things, you know, uh, everything like the automotive industry has never been so politicized before. Every single thing that they do right now, they're walking on eggshells. On top of that, you're you're pummeling into a bad economy. Um, I mean, everything about it is just like I, I kind of called this about a year ago, but I said I would not be surprised if one of the big three from the U.S. kind of either doesn't make it out or else has to get bailed out with, with all this because there's just too much stacked up against them right now. And like you were saying, EV does require so much R&D. They are so horribly far behind tesla when it comes to that um and, and they're just kind of all getting smoked right now and because they've had such bad optics with all the ev stuff they're having to backpedal a lot right now you're starting to see mary barra and all these people come out these ceos come out and basically say yeah evs are a lot harder to build than we thought we're going to keep doing the other stuff that's successful we'll get back to it you can tell they're all kind of starting to pump the brakes a little bit they'll hit it hard again um, especially if the election goes in Biden's favor again, because obviously that's going to continue to be pushed. Um, but I, I do think that at least for the next year, they're going to kind of hold off a little bit. I I think that, uh, you know, and I might be wrong on this, that maybe this is me reading tea leaves or, you know, snippets of articles online, but Toyota has really developed a lot of hybrid powertrains and they did the math and, and basically realized that for every, you know, don't quote me on this, uh, for every like, one EV, like full EV, you can make 10 hybrid batter, like battery packs. I saw and that so, too, yeah. You know, if we're talking net zero, like I think I've read that it takes seven years. You have to drive an EV for seven years to offset the carbon, you know, the emissions required to manufacture it. It takes seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. they're finding out, I mean, the, the shelf life on most of these batteries is like, what, 10? So you're going to yeah. get three, three years of, of net zero driving, you know, after seven years of basically trying to break even um, and then have a battery pack that's going to have to be refurbished, recycled or reused or, and I know they can recycle them or whatever, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of long-term questions that, you know, I think we're going to see as uh, EVs continue to proliferate throughout the country. And uh, it's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, Toyota's approach is look, if we can get everybody in hybrids, for example, that's a lot better than just having the super affluent people in EVs. If this is actually about the climate or whatever you want to make it about, right? Because hybrids, I mean, they take a lot of the emissions out of the equation and stop and go where emissions is generally bad. Yes, you can build seven to 10 of them for, you know, for one full-blown BEV, you know, or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. um, 
and it also brings the cost down. There's there's a lot of wisdom there. And for those of you guys that might not know, I know you know Nick, but you know Akio Toyota, and uh, he was heavily criticized the last couple of years. They even tried to out him from the board of his own company, yeah, uh, because his views did not line up with you know the powers that be. Um, and now he's it's starting to look more like wisdom. Mary Barra from GM, you know Jim Farley from Ford. They're starting to go. Well, now wait a dang second. You know if if hybrid checks the box for quote EV according to Biden and Newsom and all these guys, then maybe hybrid is the way to go. Um, then again, Toyota is at the same time, you know, behind the scenes, put, pursuing full electric, especially for the European market and stuff right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know what I think, Jonathan? I think that uh, Toyota should have a surplus of tax credits for all the 91 Camrys that are still on the road. <laughs> right. I mean, that's What's the offset on that. I mean, those that, things run forever. That, that's that's exactly what what you know the enlightened people are not seeing and it drives me crazy as a car person that if you want to be sustainable and green you take an old civic hatchback or a camry or a corolla or whatever and you preserve it you serve it you make something that's reliable and serviceable for the long haul like take what you've produced and make it last right the whole 100%. the whole ev business model is wasteful. You're talking about, you know, cars that, let's say after 10 years, yes, I mean, EVs have only been kind of really hitting the streets for 10 years. So I've noticed that the data, they're like, oh yeah, they're perfectly reliable. Well, if you look at the last year, the line goes like, Whoa, it's just starting to, you know, like all the yeah. EV batteries are starting to die. We're going to see how that plays out in the next four years or so. I mean, yeah, we're getting close. I mean, that's, there's an inflection point. I mean, I think I think that they are they're still selling fine. I I, I know they're sitting on lots a little longer. Mm -hmm. um, I know like overseas. I think in Europe, Tesla's actually like gained a pretty strong foothold, like in Germany and other countries. But you know, I I, I do think that um, it is still a pretty small portion of the market as far as new car sales go. All right. Well, here's a question for you, and it kind of transitions a little bit. Um, let Let's say EVs are the way. What does that do, in your opinion, uh, as far as giving China an open lane to become a global player in the automotive industry? Uh, I think that they are poised to gain a lot of value because they're the they're supplying a lot of the uh, raw materials and uh, producing a lot of the you know, the equipment that goes into the vehicles. I don't know what the concentration of parts is, but I'm sure that it's probably more than their you know gas-powered counterparts i'm just speaking generally but um you know they're they're sourcing a lot of batteries and uh, um big thing yeah, that well, is you know i would love for more pictures of the actual manufacturing process more like you know how it's made i love those videos those guys are yeah. the best how it's made i want to see how it's made so people can be like same green process like you got a diesel truck, you know, scraping out like ore from the earth, moving tons of dirt, you know, and like sifting it out and refining it and burning it. And, you know, that's that can't be good for the environment. But I haven't seen any of those videos, strangely. And that's what makes EVs such an easy sell to people that aren't as savvy about cars. You see yeah. a diesel truck running down the road and you <laughs> see it rolling coal. You see that as pollution. You can see it. It's right there. You know yeah. what I mean? Um Bad you can tunes. see smog in in the valley in Southern California, right? And it and 
if everybody was driving EVs in Southern California, it would get rid of the pollution in Southern California. But what you don't see is, yeah, what's going on in other parts of the world. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know that, you know, obviously those parts of the country dictate a lot of what happens for the future. So I'm just hoping that they uh, drive down the prices of classic 90s and early 2000s vehicles for the rest <laughs> of us. That's yeah. what I really, I mean, honestly, that's what I really care about. You know, oh, yeah. if gas prices go down because there's less demand and there's uh, more new buyers are like, I'm not going to buy an older 90s, you know, 2000s car. I just wanted the, the latest and greatest. Like, that's just more classics for us. Well, yeah, because at the it's end of the day, they've point. learned the modern customer is now accustomed to subscriptions. And yeah. the automotive industry has learned, wait, 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 they're cool as long as they can make the payment. That's all they care about. Can they afford the monthly subscription? And so I think, yeah, you, that I, I think that they've got people kind of baited to be like, well, as long as you can make it affordable per month, hell, I'll turn it in every two or three years. You know, yeah, I, mean, I don't care what you guys do. Recycle the battery, burn, melt the car, whatever, you know, like. Yeah. On that note, that's exactly, that's one of the reasons why I want to get rid of my M4, which is for sale, by the way, for anyone listening. PBS wheels, KW suspension, clean title. <laughs> Ceramic coated. Anyway, uh, the only knock on the car, uh, which just cracks me up. I get a letter in the mail from BMW, right? And uh, they're like, uh, effective, you know, whatever month, uh, your um, like auto updates are no longer going to be supported because it's th the car, it's 3G. And they're like, we don't support 3G anymore. I'm like, I've been phased out. Oh, no. <laughs> and they're like, I'm, I've been phased out. Like, what am I going to do? I can't like update my navigation or my maps anymore because... You know, they don't support 3G. I'm like, that's such BS. They're like trying to force me. It's planned obsolescence. They're trying to force me mm. to go buy that new one with the ugly front end that I always make fun of. Yeah. You know the yeah. one. It's they're like taking, they're taking a note from Apple's playbook, man. You know, mm -hmm. like the whole like, ah, send them an update. Oh, your phone crashed. Oh, too bad. Well, this year, buy a new one. This year we put a 15 on the box. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but yeah, okay, so back to BMWs, back to China, back Not to that BMWs. original post. Um, <laughs> all right, so like for you guys listening, the post went like this. He was like, have you gotten used to this new ugly front end yet? And and then it quickly went from that. I, I honestly have, I've gotten used to it. But um, it's the rest of the car I, I really don't like on the M4 at least. But anyway, that's neither here nor there because we got into a conversation about I think I said something snarky, like it looks like a Chinese knockoff of a BMW. Uh, or I said new BMWs look like Chinese knockoffs of BMWs. And you were like, well, that's well, so far from the truth. I mean, you can fill me in here. But like, basically, a lot of people don't realize here in America that China is the biggest car market in the world by like a wide, wide margin, yeah. like by double. There's all kinds of brands you haven't even heard of. They have so many AutoZone badges on them. You can just like make up your own brand names. <laughs> no, but the uh, the story behind that, and you know, I I have looked this up, so I've I've read it from official sources. You know, I'm gonna paraphrase gratuitously, but um, the new BMWs are no longer the the United States is no longer the focus for their design language. So the cars have been styled for the tastes and preferences of the Asian market. This is the professional PR way to say it. In other words, they're not designing cars we want anymore. They're designing cars that other countries want. And so, you know, overseas, I don't know how their sales are. I'm sure they're probably great, whatever. 
Um, but overseas, like that's the style and preference that they prefer. Um, BMW wanted to do a radical design change to really stand out from their competitors like Mercedes and others. Um, and I don't know if it's worked, but um, I personally have not come around at all on the front end on the yeah. new it's, it, it just I just can't. I'm sorry. I miss the classic kidney style grill. Like, get, give me an old, e, like an E36, an E30, even the E46, E92. Okay, mine, F82s were, then after that, it's like, you yeah. just get massive. It's all grill. Um, so it's I mean, sad. as an American, it's things that we're not like the center of the party anymore. <laughs> but like, honestly, yeah. Should BMW be designing for BMW light? That's what that's what gets me about it. And it's hard to put into words. But yeah. we as Americans were drawn to BMW and to German brands and to European brands. They didn't give a fuck what we thought. They were building cars for them. You know what I mean? Like Europe that's always has the attitude of like, we know what we're doing. If you guys are smart enough, you'll buy it. If not, go buy a freaking Dodge Ram or something. Like that was always their their yeah. personality so now to watch them cater to any market especially the chinese market uh, is just irritating man can you imagine like if enzo ferrari was like designing cars for china it just wouldn't happen and that's what yeah. i love about italian car manufacturers especially like back in back in the 90s they're like they just like they're just like god it looks good we're doing it like they, oh but it's gonna like cause rocks to get thrown up on the windshield it doesn't matter the scoops we're leaving them open they look great or like <laughs> this button like it's not labeled. What does it do? I don't know. We're gonna put it there anyway. You like push it, it like opens the trunk while you're driving. But like <laughs> it was batshit crazy. And that honestly is why I love the nineties so much. It's cause back then they just did stuff and like they just like it's an experience. It's just they just made decisions, moved on. Now everything is carefully scienced out. It's like, oh, I you gotta be able to reach within like, you know, five square inches of this space to like turn the heated seats on. You gotta go through all these screens, like it's just it's a sad experience. It's just yeah. sad. I just miss my my analog switches. I miss the analog dials, you know, like just seeing that like needle go up and kind of like sort of go up when you have an older car. It's like busted shit. You know what I'm talking you're about? Just, you're describing my life. Yeah. I, <laughs> like a, I'm not nostalgic car. about that. That's like what, what I still live with. Even like even like the stupidest things, man. Like so I have I have that 04 Tacoma, right? That I we inherited. I love filling that thing up and like I love watching the needle go up. I'm like, man, it's so cool. Like the floater is just like it works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like it's just something like it's like going back in time, you know, and it just makes me feel good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. The nineties was it was where technology had gotten to like a really sweet spot in in respect to like boost and turbos yeah. and all wheel drive. But it had it was still a mechanical technology. It's yes. not it didn't cross over into like you could fix it yourself without mm -hmm. needing a computer science degree and a lot of specialized equipment and other various things that you know I can't even fathom. You know, it was just a couple beep boops and you make more power on a you know simple tune. Like this, those are the days. So how do you stay so positive? Because we're all in agreement here. Me and well, Mike say this stuff you. all the time, and then we just go. Damn it! Everything sucks. We gotta well, go back to the way it was. And you're you have this positive like outlook on the future, even though it blows. I don't. Well, I don't yeah, know. but I mean, I am in the firm belief that the best car has already been built as far as like driving enthusiasm. So 
as far as I'm concerned, I'm not affected. You know, like the 90s and 2000s, like I, those are the cars I want. Um, it's not going to change. Um, you know, the latest, greatest supercars and flexing and all that is not for me. I mean, I would love to drive those cars. I'm sure it'd be awesome. But um, I, I like what I like. And uh, I'm not really Im impacted by the new, you know, what's, what's new and the latest and greatest. Like, frankly, you know, I can't really think of like a new car in its price range that I would prefer to buy over a car from the like late nineties, early two thousands, or like a, a halo car from like the, you know, two thousands, you know, like yeah. even the, my comparison is like, you know, I look at, uh, okay, let's say, um, like a 2006 Aston Martin V8 Vantage with a manual. You can buy one right now for $40,000 yeah. or you can buy a brand new Toyota Camry with a, perfectly reliable four-cylinder engine plenty of screens navigation and every feature possible like which one is going to give me more enjoyment right so like i'm not worried about the future because the best cars have, for me have already been built yeah i i worry about the future of cars for you know like my future my my son like my future children like you know are people even going to care about driving that's what makes me nervous like are we all just going to be like are we at some point not going to be allowed to drive because it's too dangerous, you know? That's what I was getting to. You keep saying, well, the future doesn't really affect me because I have the ability to turn wrenches and keep these old cars running. But we're all from Georgia here. Yeah. And Georgia just, you know, started revoking, not, not no longer issuing, but revoking titles that they issued on the little K trucks, the Japanese little I trucks. I saw that. Oh, I was devastated. So sad. But is that a precedent? I, I tinfoil hat, you know, whatever. But like, I mean, voting that is kind important. Of sets a precedent that without rhyme or reason, they can revoke a title that they previously released. So at what point do they go, hey, you know, we're not going to renew your registration on that old clunker, gas guzzler, earth hating vehicle that you got. So you're going to have to figure that out. The way, I, again, tinfoil. But the way that we have seen the world change, this country change in the past five years, we're five years away. You know what I mean? Well, like, I'm not saying we're five years away, so but I'm saying that's not an irrational thought. This is a perfect segue for me to go into my uh, my time volunteering with SEMA. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, these are the very issues that are so important uh, with SEMA that it's so important that we as a uh, as enthusiasts, and as either members of the automotive space uh, support SEMA because SEMA actively lobbies against these things. A lot of people don't really understand SEMA or what it does, um, but these are the issues that they actually have a political action committee uh, that meets with local representatives um, to, you know, get these things addressed. So um, yeah, I've been fortunate in my time volunteering with the Future Leader Network like I've gotten to meet uh, our state representatives and, uh, you know, we were explaining to them uh, Road Atlanta. Like they had no idea Road Atlanta was even a thing. I'm not making this up. I won't tell you which sides. One side, uh, the the person we spoke with drove a Prius. didn't understand why you would want to modify your vehicle. Well, why would I want my vehicle to go faster or, you know, any of these things like, you know, why would I upgrade my lights? And we're like, you don't have to. So you can see better. Get to. Yeah. yeah. So we can see better night, but. We were like, you know, you guys are so against racing, but what you don't understand is it's literally bringing millions of dollars into your constituency every year. So much tax revenue is generated from, you know, racing events in Georgia. And they had no idea. And we're like, we need to bring these people out to these events so they can see 
how important this is to people. And I think that's like part of the problem is people, they're just not aware of it on the one side. Um, and they, if they are exposed to it, understood like, you know, this is generating revenue. Um, this is people's passion. I mean, it's just like sports. It's a sport, motorsport. Like and that, you, that sheds light on the bigger problem that they yeah. are legislating what they do not have a damn clue about. hundred um, percent. And so those are the things that SEMA uh, uses resources for, like when people complain, like, why is my booth so expensive? You know, yeah. a lot of those funds are used to actually protect the business, like protect our industry. Um, they're also used for a variety of other, uh, you know, value adds, <laughs> like yeah. councils and networks and so forth that I've done. But, um, you know, it's really important that uh, we as enthusiasts speak highly of SEMA and support it because they are really doing a lot to fight those fights for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that K-Truck situation in Georgia, which breaks my heart because I think those things are adorable. I'd love to have one. <laughs> they're ridiculous. <laughs> It's like, well, that's the thing, man. Like, look. It's, it's harmless. Pretty, harmless. It's, pre it's pretty simple. It is only dangerous to the occupants of it. It is not dangerous it's to the guy in cart. the F-250, right? Like, so, It's a golf cart. It's a like literally a, a slightly more powerful golf cart. Right. And it's like, if you explain that, you know, and like you said, hey, like, yeah, I know it came from Japan, but it's literally a golf cart, you know, uh, like. Well, it's so deal? obvious that it's just. It's ignorance of what it is, and it's a total uninterest to learn about it. They just go, yeah, nah, it's not safe. Why does the VIN number only have eight eight characters? What do we do? Oh, my yeah. God. That, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it, it can't be both ways. They neither need to get educated on car culture and yeah. make it make sense, or they need to let people be in charge of their own safety and devices and, and let this be a free country, God forbid, you know, and let people kind of drive what they want to drive. Because then you open yourself up to all sorts of, well, what about a motorcycle? That's obviously more dangerous. You can't fall off a cage, oh, right? You know what I mean? Like, really dangerous. There's, there's nothing more, you know, there's nothing more dangerous on the road than a motorcycle. And I, I, I have right. a Ducati myself, which I have to now sell because I have a child in the way, but uh, there's nothing more dangerous but, to ride a motorcycle. I mean, and that's fine. Cool. Yeah, it's at your choice. own risk, you my know, choice. like, yeah, that's that's the way that it should be. So Actually, all right. I take that back, Willie. The most dangerous vehicle uh, on the roads today is actually a Nissan Altima. Yeah, well, yeah that's true. I mean, that's honestly, dangerous for other people, not just <laughs> the driver. Pretty much both. I mean, they're, they're getting somewhere and they're they're definitely late. They're on their way. People are uh, not, especially okay. Georgia, man. I, Mike, you got any questions since he's on the SEMA topic? I do, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, yes. let's, let's mix the, the SEMA and the EV topic. <laughs> if EVs really are the future and yes. they really do take over the way that we think they're eventually going to, what happens to SEMA and the automotive aftermarket industry as a whole? So uh, the industry, our industry has always been uh, based on innovation regardless. You know, they've been faced with challenges for decades, since the industry was invented, since the automobile was invented, people have always had to come up with new ideas and invent new technologies. And that's what makes the aftermarket great. Um, that said, it's been way harder with EVs because it's happening so fast. There's never been a landscape shift this quickly in our entire, uh, in the existence of the automobile. So it's very difficult. Um, that said, I still think, one, you're never gonna see, I mean, SEMA needs to welcome the EV uh, world. As we talked about the OEs, um, they're manufacturing EVs, they're investing in it. 
CMEC can't be anti-EV, right? Like, the, the if they want the OEs to participate, who we make parts for, you know, we make parts for o, OE vehicles, um, we can't shit on the future, right? right. So, uh, to answer your question more directly, though, you can still sell wheels. You can still sell lights. Uh, like, we make taillights for the Model 3, Model Y, uh, Model S. It's exclusive through T-Sport line them up. Remember the details. But there, there's an plenty of people out there modifying EVs today. Um, there's obviously not as many upgrades in terms of, you know, like performance. Uh, there's not a lot of like tuning done. I think there's been some standalones and some swaps, whatever, but, um, you know, there is a market for it and uh, it'll be pretty big as there are more of those vehicles hitting the roads. So I'm yeah. cautiously optimistic. So you're not, yeah, I was going to say cautious. So like the concern that this is going to turn into wheels, bags, wraps. Hell, I'm describing stamps. I mean, that's basically <laughs> like your, that's your, that's your target demo right there, bud. Yeah, I know. That's, what, <laughs> that's your yeah, wheels, wraps, right bags, lighting, you know, it, it, like. Brakes. I mean, they need brakes. I mean, that's, that honestly, should, yeah. I mean, that's, so what that's, about the very roots of SEMA in general, the Hollies, the Vortex? Like, they're still doing companies, great. They still sell so many carburetors. You know, they sell so many. I, I honestly, I work with Holly. Um, I got friends at Holly. They sell so many carburetors. And it really, you know, I don't think the demand is really dropping that much. Um, you know, they there's still people tinkering with them. It's still a huge part of the business. You know, like, it, it yeah, it's over time. I'm sure it'll probably go down a little bit. But you're always going to have hobbyists and, and classic car owners. And, you know, not to mention, like, when was the last carburetor vehicle built? Like, you know, it's probably like late 80s, early 90s. I mean, yeah, it's been a while and they've still been able to sell, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of carburetors a year. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to me because SEMA's always seeing new trends, you know what I mean? When yeah. the import thing, boom, that was a whole new thing, but it yeah. didn't take away from the guys that were messing with the classics, right? And then Overland comes in, it's a whole new thing, yeah. but it doesn't take market share at least not you know drastically speaking from what was already there everybody's just there doing their thing evs are different because it changes every vehicle well you know i think that's that's up to the parts manufacturers i mean frankly you know like i look at us i mean uh black rhino has wheels for the rivian it's on our email signatures right now um you know it's you have to adapt and um you can you know shake your fist and be mad that you know, gas-powered engines are maybe coming to a close. I certainly hope not, but you you also have to adopt or adapt. And um, for some companies, it's going to be a lot harder. Obviously, if you focus on very niche performance products that are you know gas only, that's going to be a lot harder. You know, but you yeah. can still. I'm sure there's still some dress-up caps you could sell for the washer fluid reservoirs, or there's there's still probably plenty of meat on the bone. Um, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of swaps and things people are doing. So, yeah. So, all right, just to kind of put you on the spot, do you think, do you truly believe that SEMA is up to this task of battling the current administration and the current EPA, or did they not realize potentially that they were in a battle until the battle was damn near over? Uh, so this is a, uh... This is a fun one. So the EPA situation, for everyone to understand, CMAT really has to be in the middle, right? Um, you have people that, like, let's say 
and, and SEMA does, they have the, the SEMA garages, right? So SEMA was very proactive in working with the EPA to say, no, our, our parts actually, you know, improve performance in fuel economy. And mm -hmm. so we actually showed them, when I say we, I mean, I'm a volunteer, um, how to test to prove that, hey, our products are, you know, carb exempt, right? So we basically showed them everything that needed to be done to do this process correctly, try to do everything the right way, um, and really invested a lot of money into these testing facilities for companies that want to do things the right way, right? And so you see some companies that are just going to ignore all that right. and uh, intentionally break the rules, and SEMA can't protect those people. Like, if you break the law, you're breaking the law, regardless of, you know, how you feel about diesel or whatever. Like, if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. Sorry. They can't protect you. But if you have gone through the process of getting an EO exemption, you know, or been tested, um, the EPA starts dragging their feet on approving it. That's what's kind of happening, and that's been a real pain. Um, and the EPA has made it very clear they hate gas-powered engines. That is super clear. They even have a uh, statue in front of their new super building that costs like, some insane amount of money, like, I don't know, like $400 million. It was insane. You can look it up. It's crazy. So the EPA definitely hates um, <laughs> gas-powered engines, but um, sorry, losing my train of thought a little bit. Um, SEMA has to protect member businesses, yeah. um, but the member businesses also have to protect SEMA by not egregiously breaking the rules. When you have a member business that egregiously breaks the rules or does something that like, intentionally sells illegal product, like they can't defend them. Um, and that's where you see a lot of people online get really upset about SEMA. Does that make like, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look, I mean, I know SEMA works really hard behind the scenes, and a lot of people think that SEMA is just the SEMA show, and it's a lot more than that. What I get a gut feeling, though, is that SEMA felt like if they play nice with the EPA and the whatever, all the acronyms and the yeah. current administrations and all that, that surely cooler heads will prevail. Surely That's what they're they not going to shut yeah. down a multi-billion dollar industry. And then I feel like they kind of went, oh, damn, they are. <laughs> like, and uh, they kind of realized. Is there's it, some truth to that. Yeah. Is, um, there's some I, truth I, to it's that. never too late. But like, is there an argument that they, 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 they waited too long? They didn't realize what the fight was. You know what I mean? I mean, like, what do you, the, the thing too, so, the, and this is why the show is so important, right? It takes a lot of money to go up against the EPA, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of money. And so they may have been aware of it, but, you know, what are you going to do? You're going up against the United States government. So this is where when you talk about the show, it's very important for people to realize that the show is essentially, you know, you got to think about the show, too. It was before the Internet, obviously. So it was actually extremely necessary for people to get together. Still, you know, great for networking. And I still think the show is very, val very valuable. But the show exists. To, it creates revenue. It's the biggest revenue generating event for SEMA. And those funds are used for these various, for these actions, for these causes. So by going to SEMA, by exhibiting with a booth, by, you know, supporting SEMA, like you in turn are providing resources needed to fight these things. Right. And like, they do a lot behind the scenes, um, you know, and they have, they've had a lot of wins that kind of fly under the radar as well. But yeah, this, the CPA situation is like, you know, you're fighting the government and there's no Second Amendment rights to for cars where it's like, you can't take our cars, you know, like they um, yeah. they tried to do it in a pretty uh, political and friendly way. And I think that 
you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I I think it made sense at the time, but I think it, at a certain point you'll see a shift where they become a lot more proactive in saying, no, you can't do this. Here are the precedents. You know, they they pull a lot of um, procedure uh, pre- proceedings and say, no, you can't do this, and here's why. And I think they're taking a much more proactive stance now. It's interesting because you brought up something I never really thought of. Like, let me think this out, you know, in real time. But the digital age has made SEMA less of a necessity. Still valuable, obviously. We're all on the same page there. But, like, less of, like, a you can miss it. You know how we always see those aftermarket companies that think they're too cool for SEMA now and they're not going to go to SEMA for whatever reason. It's a Yeah. Oh, it's a boondoggle. Right, right. Yeah, this... Is it like, are we all kind of to blame? You know what I mean? Like the the internet has made it to where people do not have to come and show support. And when you make that decision and it's kind of a selfish decision and argumentatively, I know SEMA's expensive. Not everybody can go, but you're kind of deciding, I'm not going to put the money in that. Is this part of, in part, the results of selfish business practices in the automotive aftermarket, which me and Mike could go on for hours and hours and hours and hours because you know us being media we kind of get directly freaking hit by that uh because the internet gives people a cheaper easier more convenient but kind of worse way usually with not good long-term effects and so are we kind of seeing some of these not good long-term effects the fact that the SEMA show is getting less support which is giving them less resources you know the U.S. government's getting more and more resources all the time and now they've decided that we're the bad guys and and are we less equipped to fight them than we should be or to negotiate with them, I guess? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's know. that's the message that you guys need to spread. I mean, you have a platform and, you know, it's really important that, um, you know, people start to learn and understand what SEMA is all about. Yes, it is a show, but SEMA is actually an association that that is here. To, it solely exists to create value for the member businesses. So they exist to protect uh, member business rights and uh, fight against these things, and they need money to do it. And so when you see things like SEMA Fest, and you know, I see comments online, people, and I'm just straight up about this. People are like, "Oh, it's a cash grab. Oh, those greedy." And like, they don't just take this money and spend it. Like, you know, like they're not giving out massive corporate bonuses. You know, it's it's well, uh, there is there is criticisms out there. I'm sure you've heard it, but of that course I have. they've kind of become. The, uh, a brand they're a little too caught up in the brand side of what they're doing as seen in cma ignited and stuff like that and maybe losing a little bit of focus on the trade show aspect buying into their own hashtag so to speak i've, I've heard criticisms for that i i think that that's merited um i also think that sema has uh they you know there's a thing the landscape is shifting again just like evs like the landscape is shifting you know there's a lot of direct consumer sales um, you know, consumers want to be at the event. They've always wanted to be at the event. People have been fighting it for forever. How do we get consumers involved without ruining the show? Like it's this battle that goes on and on. But like the reality is, is without those consumers and without, you know, the enthusiast interest, none of us have a job, you know? So like those people, I think at some point should be permitted to attend in some way. And I think SEMA Fest was an attempt to kind of give people a taste. I don't, think it was executed as we would all have liked. Um, but I think that they tried something new and I respect that. Um, whether or not it was executed and communicated correctly, 
it's to be debated for many years. Um, but I, I appreciate the fact they're trying new things. And I think yeah, that I'll never. I mean, we didn't criticize that, and I've never no, criticized. I'll never criticize an attempt at something. I'll never criticize a first year event. Yeah, you know what hard. I mean. Like it's yeah. hard. They 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 wanted. They went all in, man. Uh, they spent a lot of money. They partnered with uh, one of the best event uh, businesses on the planet. Like Live Nation did the NFL draft in Kansas City, like in April. It's football, coolie. Yeah. <laughs> 400,000 people showed up, right? Um, and they were extremely excited to be there. And so uh, SEMA was hoping to replicate, you know, a similar feel for the show, to like bring excitement to the industry as a whole, not just like the SEMA show. And so I think that it was a good idea. I think that the marketing communication was a little confusing. Um, I don't think people really understood why. And I think that was part of the reason why it wasn't as successful as it should have been. Um, personally, I think that if you carry this rally cry of, you know, yeah, SEMA needs your money to help defend your rights, then I think it would have been a much different event. Fair to say? Yeah. Another question that popped up, you know, SEMA needs your money to defend your rights. Like, that's a good pitch. I mean, you want your K cars or not? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You want your K cars no, like, or not? How about that? But then, what do we say to the manufacturers that are pulling out the freaking manufacturers, the anchors of the whole aftermarket and <laughs> SEMA show, are not supporting the group? that does the fighting for this whole culture. Like, well, what's yeah, up with that? Those guys with are hemorrhaging it's, it's money tough. right now. It, it's tough because one, booths are really expensive. I mean, I, I have some pretty crazy ideas, you know, I like a, a strategic vision of what I would love to see SEMA do, like let consumers in, but make it expensive so that you can reduce booth costs for manufacturers to be there. Yeah. Uh, like I have crazy ideas, right? Um, but the booths are really expensive, you know, and they need to be because being there is, you know, a huge added value. You never know who you're going to walk into. Sure, you're going to have a lot of BS conversations about somebody's third-gen Camaro, but you never know. You might have someone from, like, Roof, uh, you know, legendary Porsche tuner, come into your booth and check out some of your products and end up striking a deal. Like, you know, you never know. There's such a wild card factor with SEMA that makes it tough for certain companies to take the risk and, like, really put an actual ROI to it. So I think that's why it's gotten a little harder and then you look at like, you know, obviously, you know, we do online retail um, and a lot of our, I work with online retailers, you put that same money in Google ads, like you're going to have success, you know, almost, yeah. guaranteed, almost guaranteed. Um, but the prestige and just the face to face and catching up with all your dealers and all the media that comes with it is, it's hard to quantify in the way that a lot of these companies need it to be. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing that me and Mike criticize a lot. There, there's not much faith anymore in business, at least in this automotive aftermarket. It used to be, yeah, man, you go, you have faith. There's so many intangible networking opportunities out there that, you know what I mean? And we attribute us being around this long to, well, you know, SEMA. We go out there, we have fun with people, we meet people, they get to know you. Yeah. Business just happens. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. That's you my can't go back right and you can't count it up. You know no. what I mean? Like, you can't. And I think that a lot of times in this day and age, being conditioned by digital marketing and social media and all that, you want to see the numbers. And that's something that, for the good of the culture, I think we need to break through that freaking brainwashing, whatever you want to call it, that that block that we're in. I, I, I um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old school, even though, like, I've, you know, I'm in the digital age, whatever you want to call it, a millennial. 
What I was born in '91. Is that is that a millennial? Uh, yeah. Whatever. I'm a millennial in a boomer body. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's so hard to put a value on like face to face interaction is so much more valuable than a you know like a the web call you know because you can have a more impactful conversation and you can do that hundreds of times at SEMA versus like you know having weekly calls about the same topics like I always felt like the real stuff gets done at SEMA and especially right before Black Friday so I um, I do hope that we can convince more people to see the value and to continue coming out and supporting SEMA because we really all need SEMA more than we know yeah I agree with that 100 percent I mean, like everyone, it's so easy to make fun of it online. Like, like, oh, it's this boomer show that like, you know, carb committee, it's been happening for so long. Like I got to go out to Vegas and be there for a week and it's exhausting, but like it, <clears throat> it is really necessary, mm-hmm. you know, and we need it to, we need it to last. Like I want my kid to be there someday and like get to enjoy it. Yeah. What do you guys think about opening it up to the public at some point? I, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I mean like you know it doesn't affect me what i don't we don't have a booth so other than the possibility that there's more traffic it doesn't affect us at all but like it being open just friday to the public <clears throat> i didn't notice any yeah. negative so, effects so here's the elephant in the room um and i love this because anytime that you get everyone together volunteers or whoever and you ask how many of you have let in a friend, a family member, or like a spouse that probably shouldn't have otherwise gone? It's okay. You're not going to be in trouble. Everyone raises their hand. Always. Yeah. And so my whole thing has always been to take it, you know, you've probably maybe seen my YouTube video on the quail. You've seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. Okay. So this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this in. So quail is a, and it's the most expensive event I've ever done. It's a huge flex for me. Like, don't tell my wife. $1,200. I figured you one, knew somebody. Yeah, I got a ticket. Thank you. I had to pay for it, of course, but $1,200 yeah. for a one-day automotive event. Granted, there's champagne, all you can all you can drink, and caviar, which I ate a lot of caviar that day. But the fact is, if you're paying that amount of money, you're, you're you know, you belong there, right? Like, you really want to be there. Right. And so I always felt that SEMA could take a similar approach. Like, if you really want to be at SEMA you know, make the badges for guests really expensive to where it's like, you know, if you're going to be there, you're going to be there. It's like 500 bucks, right? Yeah. But I'll, if you're, if you have a different badge and you paid 500 bucks to get in, like, I'll thank you because I know that fun, that money is going to help our industry. Right. Like I'd be willing to accept that and have a couple more conversations with consumers and enthusiasts, maybe on Wednesday, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays or Fridays or whatever. Um, if if I knew that that was going to create some real value for SEMA, yeah. Yeah. so that that's kind of one of my ideas. I know that you know you you have a lot of legacy folks at SEMA that they've done it a certain way, and you know they don't they're afraid to make big changes in the secrets and mess with secret sauce because that's their only gen, like major revenue generating event. So I get that. That's why it's hard to get some of these things to change. So that's why SEMA Fest was such a big deal, and you know hopefully um, we can build on that. Um, make the necessary tweaks and, you know, make that a big feature in the years to come. I, I agree with that completely. It does need to be expensive because the last thing you want is the free sticker crowd or the riffraff coming in there. Yes. And, and while it would be a lot of people, 
coming up to the booth. At the end of the day, SEMA is a place where you do business. Yeah. You can't be sitting in there in the middle of a meeting and have people coming up going, Zephyr, Zephyr, hey, what's this? Yeah. What's this? What's yeah. that? It's annoying and it, and it stops what's actually trying to be done there. I, I am a firm belief, and you know, I take this from a, a friend, board member uh, who kind of came up with the idea, but you filter it, you funnel it, and you profit from it, you know, in the right way, in good taste, mind you, in good taste. But I will gladly talk to somebody who's paid their way in and, you know, ha wants to buy our product. You know, we sell premium products, like our lights are premium. Like, I'll gladly talk to someone uh, who has made that sacrifice because they love the industry and, you know, love the, the, the hobby. It's the people that, like, when somebody hands their badges somebody off the street in Vegas and then you, like, you get them just, like, walk around drinking, like, two beers. Not that I love be I love beers, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but, you know, that is the stuff that gets in the way of business. And yeah. if, if you plan ahead and told manufacturers, like, hey, you know, these two days are going to be open to the public, like, bring a, bring a consumer team to talk to consumers and bring your B2B team to do the real business, you know, B2B. I mean, I think that'd be a good compromise. So, I don't know. I don't have a say in it. I just... You know, feels good to say my ideas out loud for once. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I mean, that yeah. seems like a good place to, you know, we're what? We're at an hour. We kind of timed it right. You so got I mean, anybody got anything they want to add? Anything that they meant to say? Yes, I do. I have one yeah. last thing. One last thing I want to share. I mean, with you take guys. your time. We're not, we're not rushing you, man. I'm just. No, we're good. We're good. I love this. I love this. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, uh, I think a lot about the, you know, my M4 situation, right? And uh, I think about myself as a car enthusiast, what I really like about cars, right? I like everything you've described, the analog, the will it start, the almost shittier car <laughs> yeah. sometimes, right? So it's got me thinking, like, I want to sell my M4, which is by all accounts, a, the perfect daily driver, perfect car yeah. for a shittier car. Am, right. I, am I wrong? No. Okay. So, like, I, I, <laughs> question then becomes, do I buy, like, four 240SXs? <laughs> but, like, what do I do? You know? Uh, or, I could go, or I could go, I could go the premium route, right? And I could get, like, a, like a, a late 90s, early 2000s Ferrari. That probably needs some work, you know, but it's gonna be like, you know, the car I'll never get rid of. Right. Yeah. Well, you're I about to you're about to be a first time dad, right? Yes. I think, now, I think it's time for you to to maybe get maybe two cars for yourself. I have a I have a 2004 Toyota Tacoma. Okay. Then never mind. That's, that's still got another 40 years left of life left in it. 100%. I'm doing my part, you know, sustainability. Uh, hey, look, if it helps, I bought my 911 uh, yes. basically a month before my daughter was born. You're so, good. That's great advice. <laughs> so I might not be the best one to talk to about it. But, you know, I, I like, I like, I don't know, man. Like, I've got that 79 911. I like the CRX just as much. I like them. I got a 944 that I like, and I feel stupid saying that, but I like it just as much in different ways. Now, what I'm glad I have the 911. Like, you know what I mean? There'd be oh, yeah. a void if I just had the 944 and not the 911, because that's like the halo. It makes one. you feel it makes you feel good knowing you own it. Is that is that bad? Is that bad? No, it does feel good. I mean, you'll 
you'll run up behind somebody and just an average Ford Focus, not ST or anything, you know, and they'll start going like that out the window. Like it's just <laughs> like the the way that, that that car, that car specifically wakes people up from their driving coma is amazing. And it's not even that, it's a brown 911. Yeah. It's not an RWV. It's not Stock widely head. modified. Stock headlights. Stock headlights, right? Stock headlights. It's got the sugar scoops. It doesn't even have those good headlights. But but it wakes people up, and that's a great feeling. When you drive that car and you see the little round headlights and the sounds, and I grew up, my dad still got his from the 80s, so I grew up in, in, nice. in a car like that. 80s. So it's very nostalgic. But, like, I think just look for the stuff that, like, look at, look at like, a freaking, a SWAT Honda, right? Like, out of the 90s. I'm not, I'm not, not everything you're you need. Hate me. Not What's a huge Honda guy. You're gonna hate me for this. I'm not a big Honda well, yeah, guy. But I haven't experienced it enough. Maybe that's fine. Pretend BMW made VTEC if that makes you feel better. And you're winding out the car, and the whole thing's just vibrating and rattling. You're at a lot of RPMs. You're anticipating that next shift, and the car's screaming like, "That's it. That's as good yeah, as it gets." That's it. It's just the sound, man. And you and you look down like I'm doing 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's doing why. I'm doing 30. <laughs> That's why the, the slower cars win, because you get that anticipation of oh, the man. gear shift. You get all the sensations, and then you get to enjoy it and enjoy it. Like, you can run that CRX all the way up into third, and you're still yeah. not too far on the wrong side of the law, you know? Like, mm. it's it's not like, you know, you take, like, a GT500 or the Shelby, the new car— it's too fast and that's all it is and i mean cars and coffees are dangerous enough as is they don't need to give 700 800 horsepower to those people i've had two mustangs by the way so i can make that joke i'm all in favor i'm still thinking about your question i'm all in favor of a car that you have to search out a little bit something like a 90s ferrari that i really want a 550 marinello man I Something really that want happened, one. like a little bit of wear and tear, but make that part of the story, you know? Like, yeah. Make the it buttons work. are That's sticky. Cool. Like the buttons are sticky, you know, like it's got like some some fading on the dash a little bit or like the Italian leather stitching is like kind of off a little bit. And you're like, yeah, it's done by hand. That's somebody what it's supposed to be. Somebody like, draws, like somebody draws like a dick underneath like the trunk lid. You know how Italians do that. They're funny like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they always like draw a little smiley face. Like they do. They're fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you I know, got, something, got the itch. Got something the itch. that the 911 and the 944 gives me, I, I like old sports cars, purpose-built sports cars. When they built the 911, they didn't care about the passenger. They didn't care about your groceries. They were building a sports car. I love my CRX, but it's different. And even with BMWs, it's kind of like that. They built a passenger car, and then they made it radical. Your STIs, all those kind of things. Like, it was a passenger car first that they like put on steroids, but there's something about a car that was intended to be a driver's car from conception that I think if you're a car enthusiast, like you should own that, yeah. search I mean, that out. I, honestly, like like R32. I mean, I drove I drove one for the first time. It was a GTSD. Yeah. Friend of mine, uh, let me borrow it. I hadn't driven a right-hand drive car, full disclosure, before that. Yeah. And, like I got out, I'm like, I started looking it up. I'm like, yeah, I can see it. That feels right. Yeah, it just feels right. It just yeah. feels right, so. Well, that'll be the yeah. fun part. You'll have options. Yeah, that's the secret, man. You got to have options. Like I, I like I, I, I've driven my M4 like probably four or five times this year total. But just yeah. walking by it and like I make the conscious choice every day to like, I have my 04 Tacoma. I can drive that, 
and it just you know puts a smile on my face that I at least know I have the M4 if I ever like want to do cool car guy stuff. Yeah, for sure. It is for sale though, if anybody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, in closing, buy his car. Um, my M4 is for sale. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Make cool. a good deal. Throw in the factory wheels. Yeah, nice. All right, <laughs> buy his M4. And with that, I guess that's all I got. Oh, get our app while you're at it. It's free, unlike the M4. Um, yeah. It's if you can't afford it. that, just get our app. Um, anything else, Mike? Nope, I'm good. Okay. We got to get together soon, man. You guys are in Georgia. I mean, it's not too far. I'm in, I'm near the Braves Stadium. I mean, come by anytime. Uh, I'll show you around Morimoto. I'll introduce you to uh, all everyone. And we got some pretty fun toys in the studio right now. I mean, you saw a 355 I posted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the green one? Yeah. Everything Matt has is green with tan interior. Okay. Like, yeah, I didn't know the story. I just saw the British racing green Ferrari and was like, damn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got – there's some fun stuff. So, you know, come by. We'll upgrade your lights and uh, we'll make a good time. Same goes for you anytime, Mike. Hell, yeah, man. Yeah. All don't, right. be bringing, don't be bringing no Kia Souls by though. Say what? No Kia Souls. No. But who has a Kia Soul? We don't have a Kia Soul. They're, they're dangerous. They catch on fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, man. Well, dude, it's nice. been a pleasure hearing your <laughs> wisdom. And uh, yeah, we'll take you up on that, man. We'll come hang out. Let's do it, man. Anytime. All sure. right. Later. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank you.